There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A Diving Podcast. Okay, this week we have a recording of the first ever live episode. Uh, When I say live, I mean live in front of an audience. So a live recording, I mean, it's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it, really? But uh, (laughs) yeah, we were at ADE, the Amsterdam Dance Event, last week. And as part of the conference... They, the organisers were kind enough to let us record a episode in front of a bunch of people. So, as I mentioned last week, this is the first time I've really done a kind of speech in front of an audience. I mean, obviously, I've um, I've been interviewed live. I did a Red Bull Music Academy lecture, but it's different when you're being interviewed, right? When you're the kind of chair, when you're the kind of master of ceremonies, it is totally different. And the onus is very much on you to make it good. So I was pretty nervous. I was probably a little bit less nervous than I thought I was going to be, I have to say. And that was partly because I'd done a panel earlier in the day in which I talked about uh, how to make a living from streaming. So I'm going to talk about that panel after we um, just uh, play this recording of the conversation with Ellen. Uh, it's only an hour long, so it's shorter than a, an irregular episode. So I'm just going to yeah pad it out with my thoughts on that panel because it was quite interesting, actually. There were some interesting other people on there. So um, yeah, we'll do that. And we'll do that after this. So Ellen Alien, she's a legend of the Berlin club scene was a resident of Trezor and Ewerk, which were two of the most seminal early Berlin clubs after the wall came down. So we talk about all that stuff. We talk about B-Pitch, her label, a bit about her career. It was obviously truncated because of the fact that it was only an hour. I mean, I could have talked to Ellen if it was been a regular episode. We easily would have gone over two hours. And the fact that it was in front of an audience made it a little bit tricky but it was a learning experience for me we're going to be doing quite a lot more of these i think in the coming months so um i think it generally speaking went well i mean i think it's it stands up as a good episode anyway well you'll make your own judgment after listening to it but i always think that when i listen to podcasts that i like the live recording ones that they do 
are often not that great. So I made sure we got a decent sound recording. We got a, each mic recorded on its own channel, so it's not some boomy, roomy nonsense. So you should actually be able to hear it properly, which is often the problem with those sorts of things. And yeah, anyway, you can judge. You can judge. So just before we get into it, you can support us on Patreon if you wish to do so. Patreon.com slash scuba official. Please, we would be extremely grateful. If not, just leave her a rating wherever you listen to this podcast. Follow the Spotify playlist. There's a link in the show notes. And join us in the Discord if you have anything to say. We've got a great community going there now. So if you want to join us there, hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord gets you in. So I guess without further delay, live from ADE 2022, here is Ellen Alien. Hello, welcome. This is uh, the Not A Diving podcast. So technically we're not at ADE right now, but welcome ADE delegates. Welcome podcast listener at home as well, because we're going to be broadcasting this on the podcast next week. So, um, okay, before we get started, show of hands, who has listened to the podcast before? Be honest. Okay, a few... Not too many. All right. So, okay. Right. For anyone who hasn't listened to it, basically, um, I have a guest on every week. It's not always an artist. It's someone from the industry. So we've had booking agents and club promoters and label heads, and we talk about industry stuff, basically. So it's, it's essentially about the way people navigate their way through their careers in the industry, basically. But it's also about the development of club scenes in different cities around the world, basically. It's normally more like two hours. We have an hour today. So we're going to try and condense down uh, what would, would what would be a quite a significant amount of time into an hour. So, yeah, I guess let's just uh, welcome our guest, Ellen Alien. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for coming. <laughs> so, um, I figure, well, so we're going to talk about your career and B-Pitch and your DJing and your producing, but we're also going to talk about Berlin, right? So I figure we'll do the career stuff first, right? And then dig into Berlin in its entirety, seeing as you are a, a Berliner. So during the pandemic, you did quite a lot of press, you did quite a lot of different things to kind of mitigate the, the, uh, the situation we all found ourselves in. So coming out of that, how, can you just summarize where you are now in terms of all the different things that you do in music? Mm-mm-mm. Okay, after Corona, of course, we had to set, settle everything together again, a new team, or new people um, at the record company Beepitch and Ufing. So we have, we learned again to kick it. Um, first it was, um, I mean, anyway, the label never closed. We sold records and music a lot while Corona. And um, now it's a bit hectic for us because new signings, new artists, um, what we should go in which direction we should go. Um, it's a challenge now, I have to say, for myself also to decide things. Because after two years of break or more um, easier life, because not touring and, 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 and. So anyways, um, yeah, 
I mean, what is your like the the setup like in in its entirety? So as you said, you so you're a touring DJ, you're a, you're a producer, and you're releasing a lot. So like, like how many people are involved in in what you do? So at Beepitch, so we are running two record companies: Ufo Inc. with Clone Distribution from Netherlands, and then Rough Trade uh, with Beepitch since '99. Uh, before I did like two other labels, I started like with little labels, um, with not really good distributors and I lost a lot of money and they told me to make the music like, I can't say the name from another DJ I really hate. <laughs> also not the DJ, but the music. So, so I said, okay, if you tell me I have to do that kind of music on my label or release that, uh, bye. So then I started working with Neuton and now we are at Rough Trade. Right, I, I was just going to say that there's been so many people come on the show with horror stories about distributors from that point. I mean, like it just like it was awful. I, think, for so I many mean, people. as a as an artist, we are really sensitive. So I think in my case, it's good that I'm an artist and a DJ, and I can watch into the future. And I love to work people. So our team at B Patch is like we are five people. We have a label manager who's running all the business. Uh, we have accounting, we have uh, a booker, assistant for the booker, assistant for the label manager and a promoter. And uh, some different promoters in different countries for specific um, releases. So I wanted to keep it smaller because um, we had a time we became very big and it was just too much work. And I decided to slow down a little bit to keep it going, but not like pushing it too much, the label. Because for me, running a label, it's a life, it's a lifestyle thing more for, based in Berlin, spreading it out in the world, what we are doing with events. We are, we are doing our own events. We are not alone, it's called 30 hours raves in Berlin, very underground. And I want to keep this feeling I want to live. And this is something which is coming from the 90s. It has something of uh, a dynamic uh, platform of musicians and artists. Doesn't matter if it's design, um, movie makers, filmmakers, video makers, remixes or producers, whatever. Um, it has to be a little bit radical And then I'm feeling right in the right place. Same with the label. Um, yeah. So yeah, when was that period where you felt like you had to bring it down? Um, Berlin, okay. Techno became very, electronic music became very big in Berlin um, or bigger. Um, and also that other countries could see us, Berliners. It was like around 2001 to 2005. And then all the tourists came to Berlin and the clubs were getting really busy. And the streets full of different languages everywhere. It was amazing for me. <laughs> I couldn't see the old Berliners anymore. So, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, and then there was this hype in Berlin and Berlin DJs started working outside of Berlin. Before I worked in Russia and Poland, everything around Berlin, Dresden, Leipzig, nobody wanted to book any Berliner. <laughs> um, after we started... Really? Hang on, hang on a sec. Why was that? I mean, uh, also, 
the club scene started like in Berlin, like also our scene started nine in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And then it took 10 years after we, we start our own labels, working with distributors worldwide, learning about how to run record companies, how to run a music business worldwide. It was something we had to learn from, from, from the streets, from zero. Most of the label owners. Sure, but like you, you, you mentioned that there was a bit of maybe a bit of resentment from Leipzig and from Dresden and these kinds of places. Like you weren't getting booked in, in those places, but you were playing elsewhere. Have I mis did I misunderstand that? Uh, the first, also, uh, after 2001, we started traveling around the world. Mm. Right. Okay. But you, you're talking about Berlin DJs. Specific, yeah, Berlin DJs. I meant yeah, to, specifically. Right, yeah. Right. Sure. So, anyways, and um, what was the question? <laughs> well, no, I was, just, I, was, I was just very interested by the concept of um, like DJs and people from other scenes in Germany having a bit of resentment towards what was happening in Berlin. I mean, I've not heard that before. So, I mean, to, to what extent was that was that true? Was because uh, that's what I thought you said, but maybe no, I misunderstood. No, no. Okay. Well, my next question was going to be just jumping forward yeah. and just, just to finish off the stuff about what you're doing now with the pandemic. Um, how has that experience of those two years or whatever of having you know, having to completely re reorganize everything completely re changed? What what if, what practical effects have that had on the way you do things now? Like in terms of the way you run the label, do you think about music differently? How about touring? Like that's a, a lot of things to, to to answer. But like at a broad level, what are the effects been? Also firstly, of course, I'm enjoying traveling again and uh, touring again and meeting so many people again because I felt quite isolated uh, and it's not a nice feeling if everything takes away from you, from the government, saying stay home. This is a new experience for me. Stay fucking home. <laughs> and all these rules and this war now in Ukraine all this is very heavy I have to say and um, for me what changed is that I see the world now clear again how it can happen that somebody tells you what you have to do or not and um, this dilemma um, I have to say brought me personal in a different direction, political-wise. Running the label, signing music is... Um, my decisions are not so based on commercial success. Maybe as a DJ, I love to play big stages because I grew up at E-Work, something like Berghain. When I was a kid, I played there letting flying the hires around the room with the delays, so I love that. <laughs> but um, for B-Pitch, it's, it's more like a music lover thing. Of course, we are trying to sell the music good and, 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 but it's full of passion. And if we know, we can maybe sell it, but we love it, we bring it out anyways. So did it, I guess, concentrate your mind in a, in a way that brought it back to... You know, taking music seriously yeah, in of itself. Yeah, or, yeah, or going back from where, I'm, from where I came, you know. Going back there when I started was full of passion and ideas and I'm there now again, I would say. Of course, now we, we are living in, in 2022. So now there are much more things possible than before. 
this is um it's a game also <laughs> of course what what, are, what, are you, what kind of things are you referring to when you say there's more things possible now <laughs> also first um, i'm living in europe and not in germany anymore right this changed everything in the music business for europe and for me as a dj and for our record company and second um Berlin has so many clubs that you as a DJ can choose where you want to be on stage. Um, in the past, we had like three clubs or two, so I had to make so many compromises. I still have to do it, but less than before. So if I say I don't want to play there because you don't treat me well or I don't like your music concept. I can go somewhere else. So this is a little bit kind of freedom, which Berlin has now for artists. That's why so many people came to Berlin or producing there. Um, yeah. How about outside Europe? How, is, how has that changed for you in, in the last few years? Outside in the world? Yeah, sure. Outside, outside, outside the European Union. Because, I mean... Like you said, that's a big shift from you know, what we had previously. But I mean, the, the dancing is a global scene, right? So Yeah, we still have passports. That's a problem. <laughs> and visas. I think uh, passports uh, and worlds and countries uh, creating wars and makes it really complicated to travel or more complicated. But it's easier to fly. Of course, you have more connections. So playing in the world around as a techno DJ is easier because techno is everywhere big, everywhere, everywhere in the world now. Right. You can play everywhere in the world. And before it was like more the club scene was much bigger than the techno scene. So I made some clubs really empty playing <laughs> because it was actually a house club. <laughs> <laughs> in Greece and in, in, in USA. Every DJ in this room has done that once in their lives at least. <laughs> Not only once, twice in the past. <laughs> well, I've done it once, twice in the last month actually. So yeah. I, asked, I asked after why you booked me. <laughs> I mean, you are running a house club. <laughs> so it's easier now. I think now the, that their promoters are very, um, they know what they want to do because we have internet, we have social media. They can make big researches about artists and the club design is on a really high level, on such a beautiful level. As well, I can express myself so good because it's just tripping me far away when I play lightning, the sound system mostly is good. The crowd is coming for you or for the music they really want to listen. So they're really um, updated and very nerdy also. And what I like, they also, um, at the end, the people decide if they want to hear you or not. And this I like, so because there are so many choices. So it's not so, nobody can control the business also 100% because there's so many different uh, little communities. Um, keep it going and pick also somebody up new, a new talent. So it's not um, based on running a love parade or running a one festival, controlling everything um, behind uh, the business assholes. So like... One of the things we've talked about on various episodes of the show is that kind of globalization of the dance culture, like you've just been describing. So you can go anywhere else in the world and it will be 
pretty similar, actually. Like the the, the experience in a club uh, is is an, like analogous. Anyway, it's, you know, it's like people know what they're coming for. Like you said, they often know the tunes. Do you see that as being a like a good thing in in of itself? Mm. I mean, like kind of culturally, like overall. I think every country has a different taste, especially in Paris or France. They like more um, melodies, more funny and funny vocals. In Berlin, we are more minimalistic and um, Detroit is UK based, basically. Yeah. And um, so it's a techno electronic music is a global player, but it makes it also easier for the people who want to make music or want to listen to that music. They don't have to travel so far. And I think that's that's good. It's nothing bad to say. But I mean, if Indian and Goa are dancing on hard 150 BPM techno because they need that to express themselves, to let everything out. I guess what I'm getting at is like, it's good for techno. It's absolutely good for techno. But is it good necessarily for the culture in those places? You know, does does techno crowd out other things? You know, other local music scenes. Sometimes, is 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 there a danger of that? Do you think? Also, every tone in the world doesn't matter what it is. If it's that, it has a right to to exist. Sure. And every ear can decide by themselves where they want to go. And when I'm in Mexico, the the Mexican parties. Oh, in Brazil, they are bigger than our community. In Rio is nothing, you know. There are two gay clubs, finish and go to Rio on, on the, on the uh, festival, on a street festival. What's the name? Um, nah. Carnival. Carnival, you know. It's huge. And yeah, yeah. So, and we took from the car, from the music, from them, some, some elements, you know, in our music. So, um, I think music is doesn't matter what it is um, important for us and um, let us dream, cry, feeling free. Yeah, I think dancing is a universal thing, right? And, you yeah. know, there kids is... dancing without music already. Sure. Mm. Sure. <laughs> sure. sure. Okay. Okay. Um, so let's, uh, I'm conscious of time. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about Berlin. And specifically your experiences growing up there and the development of it as a, a place, a kind of party destination, as it were. And there was a, there was a kind of a long kind of run up to it being, you know, you described the period in the 2000s where suddenly all the tourists turn up. And I, I was one of those people. I arrived in 2007, so 100% like, yep, yep, mea culpa. <laughs> <laughs> but so tell me about, yeah, tell me about growing up there because you grew up in, in the West, right? Yes, I grew up in the West and um, I've had very um, not so good, I have to say, uh, growing up in the West because it was surrounded by the wall. So it was a lot of military pressure. And um, yeah, the Second War was still on our um, shoulders and heads. So it was like, uh, I felt very um, depressed sometimes or... Yeah. And then the wall came down and everything was like, wow, taking the bike, going all the streets down, uh, meeting me, new people. And then... Let me, let me start with that. I want to, we're getting a little bit ahead. I want to ask you about the, what the scene was like, because Berlin has a, 
it had a reputation as a party city long before oh, yeah. the wall came mm-hmm. down, right? So you know, yeah. going back to like David Bowie, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, all yeah. that kind of stuff. So like, what was your what were your experiences of the city, uh, the kind of nightlife of the city, bef- like prior to the wall coming down? As the nightlife was really, really, really big, very crazy, very um, open-minded since ever. As Berlin, um, we had not so big. Uh, festivals or something, you know, just a lot of places where you can go clubs, big club scene, really huge. I went to clubs when I was the first cl- first time I went to a club. I was eleven with my sister, <laughs> because uh, the doorkeeper was our neighbor, so <laughs> it's a bouncer. So I could enter there. <laughs> what music was getting played? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, dancing on the floor, this um, breakbeat break stuff. Yeah, break. Right yeah, yeah, yeah. It was amazing for me to see this break dancing stuff, standing in the corner like. <laughs> <laughs> And then um, a lot of black music because we had many um, uh, people from USA in Berlin. So it was a very strong soul and funk scene, hip hop scene huge. And then Metropol opened, uh, a gay club and and with Electron Vesper, I saw the first time playing there. When I was, I don't know, young. Uh, actually, so, did you say Metro Club? Was that Metropole? The, right. Okay. Still exists uh-huh. for um, for concerts, and uh, then we had the Chacha and um, Che Conrad and in the West Side, also so around um, Neulendorfplatz, all this area, all the gay scenes. So, so Berlin was all, always since I I I been in, in one club, very queer. That was going to be my question, actually, or a question that I had written down. Um, I mean, the, certainly the, the modern uh, club scene is, is very much intertwined with the, with, the, with the gay scene. So was it? So it was always like that. It was that. really queer, yeah, since always, yeah. Because it was, um, yeah, yeah. And, okay, so jumping, okay, we're going to jump around a little bit because I want to ask a question about that relating to the, the wall coming down. So when the wall came down, what was the, um, I mean, I, I know nothing about the gay scene in the GDR. So like, I'm, I'm guessing it was probably quite repressed. Is that true? Like, was there, because I mean, I know you've talked before in interviews about the way that East Germans and, and West Germans and particularly in, in Berlin sort of interacted with each other after the wall came down. So what was the, um, what was the idea of the East Germans when they were coming over to these, these gay clubs in, in West Berlin, was there a, a was there some confusion there? I mean, am I completely caricaturing it? I don't. I have no ah, idea. I never thought about that. I never thought about that, or I never seen there any problems with, because of the East Side people are even more open minded. Right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> even more than the West. So no, this was not a problem. There was no problem. The so came down, and then it was like uh, new locations, bars opened. Everybody went to the houses. They're empty, open just a bar, selling beer, putting the sound system in front. Where were you when it, when the wall came down? Were you up there with David Hasselhoff or were you? <laughs> <laughs> I was living in this quad actually okay. in Schönenberg and um, I couldn't believe it had happened, and, but it happened. I cried a lot and then we took our bikes and just expressing the new Berlin. And um, after maybe one year, I had completely uh, new people around me. Hang, new on, hang on a sec, though. Can you just describe what it was like 
seeing East Berlin for the first time. Dark. Right. No lights, <laughs> no no advertising, no lights, nothing, no shops, no... Everything was dark because of the um, um, bricks, the um, heating systems with bricks. Ah, oh, you mean soot on the walls? Yeah, on the right. walls, everything black and the house is not renovated because it was really fucked up before the wall came down the east already. And it was like broken streets, um, yeah, and no colors, like Bordeaux in the night. A little bit reminds me. <laughs> but with these open-minded people? Uh, yes. Uh, some. The young people, yes. Okay. Us, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Us, yes. But not everyone. I didn't see them because I focused on our uh, positivity because I had bad days in the West already with the... Uh, and you know it was like this in the west no east or west doesn't matter we felt the second war still in our arms you know because our family my mother uh, born in the second war yeah and when the war came down it was like wow for the young people okay now we have space now we change the world now we are here and now it's our voice and it was that kind of feeling Okay, and then, so <laughs> the clubs started opening. I mean, you mentioned E-Work, E-Work, and obviously Trezor is the one that everyone still knows now because it's still there now. Um, I think Trezor opened in 91, right? So we've got a couple of years in between the wall coming down in 89 and for, for that to open. So can you just describe how, how that developed? Like those, that, that couple of years after the wall coming down and then coming like developing into a sort of coherent... Scene. Now, first they first everybody ran their own little parties. You know, WMF opened. So it was a hip hop club changed to a house and drum and bass and hip hop. And they opened also uh, one floor uh, with ambient and open air area. So this was like a proper club design and planet. And planet was the first house techno club. Now, first it was of course UFO club from Dimitri Hegemann, Tresor, then Planet. And Planet was like the first big warehouse. Yeah, so I was going to ask, what were these clubs like? What do they look like? Because I mean, like my, Planet, my... Planet was like, you, you walk really in a, in a dusty place inside, very long way. And then there's coming one place where you're going through and it's like a ambient area or something. And then you walk and walk and walk and then you hear the techno music and then, okay, it's the right way. And <laughs> it's like a big warehouse and it was a big warehouse. They had a, 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 first a bar and then there was a dance floor, Dr. Motto played and uh, DJ Rock from Hardwax. And it was something like many queer people and everybody talked to each other. Everybody wanted to know each other. It was like, that's why I went to techno club and to, to, to Planet because I, I loved the community more than in hip hop clubs. It was more open-minded, cooler people. You're just standing in a bar, you meet somebody and you can talk 10 hours. And then this person takes you home and you meet all the friends and then you have, after two weeks, completely new people around you. And um, it was like a um, um, social bomb. <laughs> Right, so I mean, my my kind of visualization of this is like a, a largely empty city with these sort of like oases of ah, yeah. like 
you know, like like you said, like yeah, a, yeah. the occasional warehouse, which is an amazing techno club, but most of it is just empty, right? Is, is that accurate? Empty, broken streets, um, no lights really, because in the East they had only like yellow lights, you know, not, not very bright and very low. And then, then, then you hear music somewhere, you go there, and then there's somebody yeah, with... With a sound system or bars or a little restaurant selling food or it was very um, um, how you say yeah, you could feel now here something <coughs> happened now we want to build something here something new here. And, and there's also a space for street life. Sure. So um, just going back a bit, I, I'm fairly sure I read that you lived in London for a bit prior to 89 that true yes yeah. one year yeah. and that was your first exposure to like dance music and techno is that is that right no it was like um i went to wet club and uh wet club actually um um delight delight yeah yeah, they were there and I saw them and so there was this music between acid house and um what was it acid house and Hip hop, maybe something between, you know, this area. So, um, and uh, it was super flashy for me because the club scene at this moment was very crazy and very physical. Uh, people ran, ran in the clubs, taking t-shirts off and dancing, sweaty, like, every, yeah, like now, but in three hours. <laughs> <laughs> Right, okay. Different culture of uh, yeah, longevity. And all these DJs and all these producers and clubs dancing with the crowd. It was very, um, yeah, maybe like our techno scene now these days. You know what I mean? The fast stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, so so you so you brought back that uh, experience to Berlin. So when these things started happening, when these clubs started opening, you were already. Pretty familiar with the, like the concept of it, I guess, of and, and the music. So I guess the question was going to be like, at what point did techno, specifically techno, start to make sense to you as something you wanted to be involved in? Uh, it made sense because um, the music I didn't like first was too fast. So I went in the club just to talk with people, meeting new people, good people. And still the same for me in Berlin. That's why I'm going out in Berlin to meet cool people. <laughs> or meeting people I can talk with and we have something to say or we exchange. Uh, most of the people are working for Beepitch or I'm working with, I met in clubs or friends, boyfriends, lovers. It's like in the, in the past Berlin was more a bar city and it changed to club cities. Every club in Berlin has a big bar area where the people can co communicate or sitting areas. It's not only about the music, it's about meeting point. Um, and I think these meeting points are so important for the creativity in Berlin. If you wouldn't have the club, Berlin wouldn't be like it is now. And um, now in Berlin there, yeah, there's everywhere so creative. It's the same like in, big, in all big cities, no? Sure. I would say. Yeah, I think it's been influential in that respect for sure. So when did you when did you start DJing then? Because you were, uh, I think you were a resident at Trezor from quite early on, weren't you? So yeah. tell me about your journey into DJing. Uh, I started ninety two DJing. My first record came out ninety four. 
I started DJing not because I wanted to be a DJ, I have to say. I, I made music before in, where we were living, in a squad, in a cellar. We had like um, rooms where you could make loud music, playing drums, playing uh, guitar, everything, every instrument I played, just for fun, yeah, with my friends. So, <laughs> and uh, next to my house, there was a fish labor, and I was searching for a job to pay my school. I studied dance and acrobatics, <laughs> and, and there was fish labor, and I knew they pay good on the weekends because it was the hip the hip really hip bar so I went there hello I'm Ellen I need a job um, do I have a job <laughs> Ellen oh, no we don't have a job for you <laughs> and I asked maybe eight times because I went there drinking or hanging out but I didn't know anybody uh -huh. so <laughs> and then I got a job and working there and I mixed um Uh, my boyfriend, he produced, um, he was a producer and uh, he produced uh, reggae bands and black music. And he had turntables in our house where we were living together. And I just mixed randomly records and I played the, the tape in the bar I worked. You, you recorded your, your, your recorded mix. mix and yeah, then and on, I right? played then the music when I was working in the band. Right, right, then Dimitri right. Hegemann and uh, the other owner asked me, who mixes tape? I said, <laughs> not me, for when I'm working here, we are in the bar. <laughs> I think you should play here, Alan. I said, no, 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 I never play here. <laughs> and then actually I played there, yeah. <laughs> So shaking hands and was not very comfortable. But did they 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 already had it? They already had, already had DJs playing. They had already DJs. Playing. Every every day somebody else. Also first uh, one night was uh, was a bar where all the music scene met. So there was um, one jazz uh, uh, jazz DJ. He played um, jazz one night, mm -hmm. hip hop, and electronic music. So and they put me in the electronic music spot. So how did you get from there to being resident at Trezor in like a year? Trezor was the same owner as... Uh, oh, wow. As, uh, as, <laughs> the, as old, the old boys network, right? I didn't, know, it's, it's just, I didn't know that, you know, because it was just the bar behind my corner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, but it was not the first one put me in the club. It was um, okay. an E-Work, actually, Dab Mission. Right, okay, so, so these, these are two clubs that I want to get a good description of, right? Because they're both super legendary and, and I think they were quite different in how they were. So can you just describe, describe E-Work? Okay, just to, to Tresor, Tresor was a cellar, very important, Jeff Mitz resident, Black Baxter, all the Stuttgartish people came to Berlin playing there first. Because Tresor um, uh, released all their music and presented them in Europe, actually. Yeah, that's an important point. And um, they started bring the music to Berlin, it was Tresor. Same time, other clubs, of course, running, uh, going on like a planet after E-Work. E-Work was something like Berghain, like, um, but one floor. So one night they had a house night or techno night or mixed. It was not like here's techno and there's house like now, which I really don't like, <laughs> but it's like this now. Um, so now you play house and there's only techno. So, <laughs> so back in the days you could play electro, house, freedom, play whatever you want. And um, so E-Work, uh, um, high ceilings, warehouse, you could, there was a balcony, you could go up, watching down. 
beautiful. Um, like roughly what kind of capacity? How many people? Capacity, um, 500, 2000. Big cures like now in Bergheim. Um, yeah, I mean, it sounds like Bergheim. Hardcore doors forever. Um, yeah, it sounds like Bergheim. <laughs> yeah, but it was in this time very important. We had a lot of uh, problems with um, Russian uh, mafia. It was terrible. Really? Yeah. Can you expand on that, please? Because I wanted to sell the drugs in the clubs. So they want to enter in the club scene, um, getting the spots on the doors, um, taking people from club owners, really kidnapping them. Um, they came to our pie plate at Bistanet uh, um, back in the days at Globus. Every Sunday we did the last party in Berlin, the after hour, for many years. And the mafia people came in our, in our club at Globus in Tresor and they with knives and um, hurt, hurt people. Yes, yeah, that's clubs. People, right? yeah. yeah. Wow. So it was really hard. We had really hard times. Now it's much, that's why I prefer these days because less criminal. Now we have different crimes. Right. Sexual crimes. And right. <laughs> Not nice either, clearly. But with some We will we will take care of that. Right, right. Um, <laughs> we find them. So was there I'm, I'm guessing from, from what you just said and you know, from the sort of description of the city generally that the policing of those early Berlin venues was just not really a, a thing. I mean from like the policing as in from the authorities, right? Was it just kind of a you can just get away with pretty much anything? Is that Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty crazy. That sounds pretty good in some respects, but not good when you've got like Russian mafias stabbing people. As it was, probably. yeah, it was not fun. No, I seen really like when I went, when playing outside of Berlin in the East, I seen promoters really hitting in front of me bloody blood until he said, okay, you can have my money and you can have 50% of my club or whatever in front of everybody, in front of me. And I couldn't move away because otherwise... I seen things. I, there was one moment I said to myself, I stopped this. I can't see this anymore. It was too much. It was too criminal. And then it changed, luckily. We changed it. Club scene closed. Um, some clubs closed. It became smaller again. Love Parade closed. Which year are we, which year are we it talking? It was 98, uh, 97, 98. And then we start, the scene start working uh, together again, more the creative people, not the business people or the fucking mafia. Okay, okay. So, so clubs let's, let's, closed, let me, mafia let me, let me is not interested in let, let, me, let me stop you there because <laughs> we're, we're going to get there. But I want to do a little bit more on, on Trezor because um, oh, yeah. I want to I hear about this in, in detail in terms of what it was actually like because I've seen pictures and I've you know, read the stories about it. But like, <laughs> tell, me your, tell me your direct experiences of, of, of playing there actually. Like what was it like to play there? Also first I played not Tresor, I played upstairs, upstairs Globus, we did the after hour. Uh, for me the experience at Tresor, I mean I worked there also on door, I worked behind the bar so it was my family, it was my place where I could um, explore myself music wise. I could listen Jeff Mills the first time in my life, seeing him playing like an alien, like throwing the records behind her. <laughs> like a machine and seeing black bags, start singing. And so this was my music school, Tresor. I learned everything there. Say, Dimitri Hegemann is, is my godfather. You know, he taught me everything. So how many nights I talked with him on the bar or with DJ Rock from Hardwax. 
we all hang out there at Tresor Globus and communicate and like um, trying to find new ideas, talking about um, everything. Yeah. Everything. It was a kind of meeting point, you know, like, and from, from there, everything moved on. I think like for a lot of DJs, there is a key like venue, whether it's a, a residency or just an opportunity to play regularly at a certain place, which kind of makes you as a DJ, which kind of, you, you kind of understand how it works. And it sounds like that was the place for you. I mean, I'm an extremely trained DJ. Um, so, <laughs> so many years, so many different places. And especially I played at Globus every Sunday, every Sunday, like from, 10 Sunday until Monday morning until no 8 8 p.m. Sunday until Monday morning 10 11. Yeah, that's, that's a long shift. <laughs> no, two two DJs, but staying all night. <laughs> and and then I played at Ewax. So I learned at um, Globus Tresor playing um, yeah sets more after our style, electro, missing house, missing techno, but not too dark. And at E-Work, I played more darker, faster, trancy, dark, electro, um, learning mixing also without monitoring, mixing just with the delays, and hearing Hyatt, as I said before, jumping around. Always fun. Yeah, always fun, especially in these places when, when you play like just a mono bass drum, like play just three minutes and then Hyatt can always people scream. Until today. <laughs> it's so simple. <laughs> Keep it low and then one higher or whatever, some, some signal. <laughs> yeah, and this I learned at eWork. Right. So this places for me, um, both places made me who I am today. And of course, the first touch, this was Dimitri Gemann, Achim Polenberger in the past, where two, two persons running it. Um, they teach me a lot to run my record company and on the way of course many many people gave me good advices from today or, or so I can say to everybody who's in music you need advices people um, you can ask questions and hear the stories of others and mostly everybody is feeling the same or had now, okay, in Cuba, it's different. No, we all have our own stories where we're born from where we are coming from. Yeah, everyone needs a guide of some sort, right? Yeah, everyone you, needs a mentor. We need advice. I mean, um, yeah. So you were alluding to the period in the sort of later 90s where well, you said you took, we took the club scene back from the bad stuff that was happening in it in the, in the late 90s. So... Let's let's return to that. So tell me about that. So, so some clubs shut and some other ones opened, right? So yeah, clubs shut and then um, um, new people moved to Berlin. Open clubs like um, Osgood, um, Maria um, opened, and then the clubs team became bigger again, more healthy. And the music was very different also in all these places. Um, WMF. John Basque Nights, Debug Nights. Um, we got new magazines, um, more intellectual. So it was basically people start moving on, working hard 
to keep on the dream we 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 are music lovers and we want to work here so they made it big again let me, let me ask how big a part did the love parade play in that because that like i was in you know a, a kid in london at the time like reading mix mag and reading about love parade and you know that was kind of mythologized the whole thing for me to quite a large extent and i imagine it brought quite a lot of people to the city so was it was was that significant do you think in in what you just described I mean, Love Parade could be, uh, yeah, uh, was something very, uh, we have many demonstrations in Berlin every week, huh? 5,000. It's good that the people go in the street. So and this was the idea uh, to go in the street for love and um, to play our music. I think to one moment it was uh, a real and on, on the other hand it became a business and um, they presented shitty music. <laughs> they <Right. laughs> made a big sellout. Okay, hang on a sec, hang on a sec. They, they want to make the fucking love bread again and telling the same story than in the 90s. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Right. I, I don't know. Over, over what kind of time? <laughs> over, what kind of, <laughs> over what kind of time period did this did this happen? Like, when did it become shitty music? To use your phrase, not mine. <laughs> When Vespa go on stage and Marusha, <laughs> I mean somewhere over the rainbow. Sorry, but it was good for a bit, right? It was never good. It was, oh, really? It okay. was. I suffered all my childhood, all my teenage. Wow, my, my illusions are being shattered here fully. <laughs> I thought it was, was a disaster. <laughs> no, I mean okay. when you come from a, from a club scene and then something is. <laughs> then the, the music goes in the charge with the person who's not singing right and uh, stealing um, songs, making remakes with nye, 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 nye. and uh, wow, that sounds like TikTok. Yeah, okay, I have this also now, but this was different. Um, this was really like uh, for us, the, the music lovers, and it was Farad. Was heißt Farad of English? Farad. Fake. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, was fake, yeah. So it was, um, of, I played there too. <laughs> but, but, you, but you play good music, right? You weren't playing any shitty music, surely. <laughs> no. Never. No, no, they booked also some nice DJs. <laughs> <laughs> no, but anyways, they took, the, the love rate was something nice because many people went on the streets and um, being together, families also. And Sven Fied could um, have his show on his van, being the king. And everybody could be the king of his van. <laughs> Your words, not mine. <laughs> no, it had, also it had something positive. Of course, many people came to Berlin enjoying the free demonstration or the free, like a carnival. Um, but some people just sold out. Sure. And Berlin was a bit stupid because um, it closed down. Uh, there was a fight who's paying the cleaning of the love parade. And Berlin said, the city said no. And this was really stupid because how you can say no if the love parade brings so many people in the city, hotels, restaurants, and Berlin be becomes something like a place people want to dance, not talking about Hitler. First time after the Second War. Yeah, Something absolutely. happened in the city, beautiful. Turkish uh, people go uh, from all kinds of um, um, music styles or just want to be there. 
And then they ask for the money, cleaning it up, and say, no, we don't pay anymore. You have to pay by yourself. And Lafayette, maybe Lafayette never made much money out of that. Maybe the company, companies behind, like Mayday or Low Spirit, the record companies, uh, using it to selling their music, but not the love rate for themselves. So it had something positive, of course, bringing people together, showing a new Berlin, like people smiling and dancing. Before in UK, I remember when I played the first time in UK, Alan, you're funny. I thought the Germans are really serious. They can't laugh. I said, what is that? <laughs> we do have some German stereotypes in the UK that we probably need to get over. <laughs> you know? And uh, so it changed completely the idea all over the world about Berlin. They're funny, happy people. So you've seen the pictures everywhere in the world. It was the best marketing for Berlin. That's why people ca came also to run uh, clubs. Sure, because I mean, oh, there's a scene. We have to go there. We can make, we can do something here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was that was so. My, how that was they my cannot pay this anymore? So is that is that why it is that why it moved? Because yeah. of, of the dispute about cleaning. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know. That. It closed down because of that. That's crazy. And the marketing company um, um, made a very good job in terms of marketing for the world. You know, um, it changed completely the picture of Berlin, and. Um, I have to say, there as well, this was the biggest mistake of the city. Maybe changing the positions would be good from the kings. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's 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 re let's return to the um, the, the story of the uh, the sort of development that you were you were talking about before I interrupted yeah. you about about the love um, <laughs> yeah, which which kind of resolved into I, I guess what we still have now, which is you know the Berghain. And Watergate and and this kind of lineage of venues, which is yes, still oh. still still very much alive. But just just tell me how that sort of came out of that period, as you were saying, like out of that kind of like Russian mafia period into something a bit more professional and a bit more kind of regulated and a bit safer by the sound of things. I think they find a situation how they can make their doors, and then um, the police maybe also could help better out. Then uh, they. Every club had their own um, identity and um, music ideas and club design ideas. So n no, not there's not never there's a club looks the same like the other in Berlin. You know, every club is special in Berlin. And um, then the tourists came, so the clubs um, be became more busy, so they could continue. Maybe they could uh, take a new building because they made money. Um, maybe they got some money also from government, which was never enough in Berlin. In France and other European uh, um, uh, countries, they get more money. In Italy, no nothing, actually. So Fran France is very good in helping in art. I think they respect music more and they... they they help more out their the local um, art scene because maybe in general more arty. <laughs> yeah, they take it and seriously. Absolutely. Yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so new people came to Berlin believing in something and still believing in this and still running those clubs. And they run it, they run it since years with this idea. And in this way they can survive. Let me ask you a question about music. 
specifically? Because the kind of period you're talking about was when minimal became a big thing. And um, like prior to that, well, my question was like, to what extent in the 90s was there a distinctive Berlin techno sound, as it were? It was it was always acid and it was always something dark. Right. Of course, there was also, we had amazing house DJs, Woody or whatever, um, bringing the light into the in the club. But um, it had always some something melancholic, um, baseline orientated, some music you can't understand easily. As it's more something very physical. Berliners always like to um, go out long because we had no closing times. Um, in the 20s, it was a crazy city. And um, yeah, so I think it's the vibe of the Berlin music is the same vibe as Berlin has. I mean, how did you feel about Minimal when it came also, in? Because I, I, um, I think the first time I ever saw you DJ was at VMF. And I'm, you were playing quite minimally i seem to remember so how, how, how do you think about it having come out of like that sort of like you know the 90s period which was yeah. not minimal i mean minimal uh min minimalistic music um i played always kind of minimal for like never very as well melodic but sure. minimal melodic <laughs> because um kraftwerk uh, i'm a kraftwerk kid <laughs> um When I played Minimal um, in this moment, we were tired because Gigolo became very big in Germany. Uh, Gigolo and really full-packed music. And after a while, we all could listen to this anymore. And it's always like this. After a while, if something is getting too big and every DJ is playing it in every club in Berlin, it was like that. Gigolo as in DJ Hell and yeah, yeah. stuff. Yeah, Gigolo yeah. became very big. So vocals, a um, bisschen 80 sound, you know. And Electro uh, Clash. Electro Clash. <laughs> and yeah. this was, no, there's, there, there's amazing music in Electro Clash. And um, after this, it was, there was a time to change this. And this was minimal. And Minimal was always big in, in, in Berlin. We had always like DJs like DJ Disco. He played so minimal At E-Work, uh, he played all this US minimal records, you know, DJ Slip. It was really, really huge in, in Berlin. Yeah, and, and, and then, of course, many American, Canadian, uh, uh, Richie Horton moved to uh, Berlin and pushed minimal. In this moment, when it was already there, he came, moved to Berlin and... Uh, promoted it very sure big. I mean I had a question about that specifically so was 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 Richie moving over very significant for people in the city was there any kind of like cynicism around it or were people quite sort of like excited that he was he it was, was excited yeah it was excited we, we all had we I mean uh, first I have to say moves what kind of people moved first we had always periods you know first the French people came to Berlin like a lot No, first the, Sp first the Italians, then the Spanish, because then maybe three Italians move to Berlin, then the friends come, the other friends coming, then the other friends are coming, and then more friends coming, and then we have thousands and two thousands. <laughs> and then the French came, and then the Spanish, and then the Canadians. <laughs> and then we had a good mix of um, the club scene became a, really a flower. Yeah. 
And everybody wanted to drink, smoking joints and taking drugs and getting crazy together and meeting each other. It was amazing, you know. And also when Richie came or other groups, you know, um, of course, we all wanted to meet each other, you know, and hanging out together. And um, since now, also now the, cha the groups are changing and at Bergheim and the clubs, you can see that really, yeah. And this, this is important because in this way, the club scene stays he healthy because no one can go out all their lives. We, we need constantly new clappers. Yeah, I mean, it's really noticeable <laughs> for, for my recent shows in, in Berlin that there's a new generation and there's young, really noticeably younger crowds now in Berlin. Because like, certainly compared to the UK, my observation was always that the crowds in, in Germany were older. I mean, like in, in the UK, we've got a kind of tradition of 18-year-olds going out and getting as wasted as possible by 2 a.m. and then yeah, yeah. staggering oh, wow. home. And then you're kind of done by 22. But... Uh, the average age in in Berlin, Germany, generally seems, seems to be older. But but I noticed that there is a you know there's an influx of, of really young kids now, and they want different music. Like we you know alluded to earlier, there's this kind of crazy. Yeah, I love, I love that. I love the mix uh, also, and I like also uh, new new kind of um, movements. At SO, for example, there are a lot of young people mixed with queer people and older people. It's like we just had our event there. We are not alone. And I, it was such a good crowd. Okay, so we're running out of time. I've got a couple more questions. First of which is, to what extent do you see Berlin as something, the, the scene in Berlin and the, and the kind of experience over time, how distinct is it from the rest of Germany? So how much of its own thing is it? No, no. Everywhere in Germany you have very strong, uh, a very strong club scene. And because the Germans, the mentality of the Germans, um, the techno people are very social and they they love to work together, they love communities. And if they love something, they stay, you know, they kick it um, with all their energies. It's not that they run to one hype to the other. We are not like that. It's like... Um, um, It's a journey. It's a, it's a long-term journey, uh, life life journey, I would say. <laughs> um, so everywhere in every city in Germany, you have very strong communities. Lehmann, Stuttgart, yeah, strong. They are believing in something. They did something. Uh, they lost a lot of money. They lost people. Um, they build up again. Falling, getting up, falling, getting up, falling, getting up. Um, we have um, Hamburg, Pal, other clubs existed, existed before. Munich is a very strong, and back in the days, in the 80s, Munich had a very, very strong radical art, uh, art scene. The government, the CDU, they cut everything with closing times. They, they killed the, the art scene, yeah? And um, the club owners uh, believing still in it and and um, working hard on this, yeah. And um, I think um, all over Leipzig, there are amazing clubs, festivals everywhere in Germany um, because this is our music techno and this is our dream and this is the way we can switch out of, of the world we are not want to be with rules making us smaller as, as we are in our club scene we are bigger than outside and um, 
everybody who's running in clubs every weekend, they don't want to be a part of this normal uh, uh, <laughs> normal world, life, right. which is not funny, which is really, really sick. And I don't know who's sicker, the, the clubbers or the, the, politi the politicians. Oh, echt, ey. <laughs> so, and this is the vibe of techno. <laughs> and um, it's not unpolitical um, because we build our own ideas how we want to live. If we want to build families or not families, how our sexual life is, how we change our bodies or what everyone is changed. We change there with our community, in our community. And there we are respected. If this if the word is spitting on us. So, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I 100% agree with you. I 100% agree. So we've got time for one more. Um, what's your favorite Berlin venue ever? My favorite ever since ever? Oh, now. Yeah, yeah ever, ever. Also ever, e-work, uh, Berghain. WMF, um, SO, Griesmüller, um, Tresor, <laughs> Tresor 100%. <laughs> If you had to pick one, what would be the one? The number one for me? Uh -huh. SO. Okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Ellen Alien. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It was nice. Good yeah. questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was Ellen Alien. And it's very different doing it live, as you probably gathered. Pretty difficult to, uh, well, I say difficult. It's a different skill set, you know, directing an interview, directing a conversation when you're in front of an audience. Because you kind of, well, you have no choice but to take them into account. Right When you're doing just a regular podcast, obviously you think about the people who are listening to it. But when it's a direct judgment being made by the people sat right in front of you, you inevitably think about it in a slightly different way. So, yeah, like I said at the top, like the first 15, 20 were, I guess, a warm up, you know, and we got there. It was it was I think by the end it was great. And everyone was relaxed and, you know, there's some laughs and, you know, and, and it was an interesting conversation as well. I have to say, like, particularly getting into the stuff about Berlin, like the fact that it was only an hour, the fact that it was ADE, I, ha I had no choice really, but to, you know, ask her about her career and stuff that she said a million times before. But just to kind of set the stage for that section of the conversation about Berlin, that kind of had to be in there. But nonetheless, it was interesting for the whole hour, I think, I think. Anyway, so I hope you enjoyed it. If you've got any feedback, then join us in the Discord, hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord. And yeah, like I said at the top, we're going to be doing more of these at various different conferences and various different events on the calendar. You can probably imagine what those might be. So yeah, it was fun. I was nervous, but it turned out okay. Just about <laughs> got, got away with it. No, no, no. It was, it was good. It was good. So Yeah, I said at the top that earlier in the day I had spoken on an ADE panel entitled Streaming Platforms, How to Actually Make a Living. So, okay, on the panel were G. Davey from AIM, the uh, Association of Independent Music Labels, 
Helen Smith from Impala, who's uh, that's another industry group. Richard James Burgess, who's a former uh, former artist, former musician, who is part of the American AIM, basically. So the American Association of Independent Music. Um, Sylvia Montello, who is the CEO of the Association for Electronic Music. Tracy Chan from SoundCloud and a lawyer called Wallace Collins who is chairing it. So you'll notice from that list that there aren't any artists and there aren't any people who are directly working for labels. So I was the one there <laughs> basically representing the people at what I described as the sharp end of that whole thing. We've seen a bit of a crazy situation. I don't know who put that pound together. And actually they initially wanted me to chair it. So I suggested that that probably wasn't a good idea and that I should just be someone giving my opinion on the panel, which they eventually agreed with. And Wallace Collins, the the chair, actually did a pretty good job of um, leading the discussion. I mean, having said that, you know, as you can probably imagine from the kinds of people who were there, the list of people I've just given, there was a lot of chat, a fairly arcane chat about back-end stuff. So there was like lots of talk about metadata, the importance of getting your, you know, crediting right and all of that stuff. And the, the first thing I said, like when the mic got round to me, because we had 45 minutes, you know, and there's whatever, six, seven people. So not a lot of time to talk. When the, when the mic finally got round to me, the first thing I said was, well, we've been going 15 minutes and no one's actually mentioned a streaming platform. So, <laughs> so which probably, I probably sounded like a dick when I said that. But I mean, like there just is a little bit of a disconnect with these sorts of industry uh, bodies, these sort of industry institutions between them and the people actually trying to make ends meet with this kind of stuff. So... Um, having said that, everything that was said was definitely useful. I mean, stuff like metadata is is absolutely crucial. And, you know, there is a fairly high degree of ignorance within, certainly within young people trying to make their way in music. And that stuff is important to learn. But just in, yeah, in the context of this panel, which is like how to make a living from streaming, mm, yeah, not, not super important. But nonetheless, important stuff was said. Tracy Chan from SoundCloud made some interesting points. I mean, SoundCloud is a, it is a streaming platform, particularly these days. I mean, obviously it didn't start off like that, but these days it's very much a, one of those uh, companies sits in the same bracket as Apple Music and Spotify, certainly, even if maybe the the numbers aren't as big and certainly the market cap is nowhere near as big, but, you know, they're an important platform for many reasons, you know for the music discovery thing, but also just the streaming numbers and the revenue generation from that too. So yeah, he was good. He was good. Um, we're going to have Sylvia Montello from the Association for Electronic Music on the show. I've asked her to come on the show. She um, was a good speaker and had some interesting things to say. She's a former jungle raver as well like i should say that i was the youngest person on the panel i think i'm pretty sure and i'm i'm not young so so, yeah it was definitely a little bit of a kind of mm, one of those ones but yeah so we're going to come on the show and discuss 
that cut well discussed streaming and discussed different business models within electronic music basically and i think she's going to be a really good guest she's extremely knowledgeable and we'll be able to talk about different scenes and you know the way different scenes work and the way different business models work and i think she's just going to be ideal and as a ceo i just like the idea of having a ceo on the show you know <laughs> that's just um yeah i don't know that's just my ego but anyway ADE, I was just in and out, you know, people stay there for the whole week. I've never been, I I basically just can't stand standing around shaking hands with people, speaking to them for two minutes and then just moving on to the next person. Like I do my networking, I take it seriously, but I, you know, and you have to take networking seriously in, in any walk of life really, but particularly music industry. But I just hate those things where it's just like you're expected just to, that's all you do for a week. And then you go out and get wasted because there's loads of parties. And so you then have to do your networking when you're fucking hungover to fuck. So, yeah, not for me. Not for me. I was in and out, in and out to get, well, as I said uh, last week, to get the um, get last week's episode with Elijah finished. And um, getting this one together was a little bit of a challenge too. But yeah, we managed it. We managed it. So, um, yeah, as I said, there's going to be more live episodes. I'll get better at hosting them live, I'm sure. Yeah, I need to maybe do some like improvise, Im- improv uh, classes or something like that. <laughs> we got a few laughs, but you know, uh, a little bit of skill in that respect definitely helps keeping the audience engaged and all that stuff. But anyway, if you've enjoyed the episodes, support us on Patreon. If you're not already, well, you're definitely not because you wouldn't be listening to this uh, version of the pod if you were. Patreon.com slash official. The most recent thing that went up exclusively was me reviewing the Beatport Top 10, which was fun. I did a lot of swearing. It wasn't fun actually at all. It was really, really depressing and I shouted a lot <laughs> in that. But I'm told it was quite entertaining to listen to. So if you want to do that, yeah, Patreon.com slash official. If not, that's also cool hit the five-star button wherever you're listening to this show. It really does help us. Honestly, it does when you do that. So, um, yeah, do that. Follow the Spotify playlist. There's a link in the show notes. And join us in the Discord. Yeah, hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord. Join the conversation. We've got a great bunch of people in there chatting shit about music and all kinds of other stuff. Yeah, so I'll see you there. Anyway, we are done. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I will see you same time, same place next week for the next episode of the Not A Diving Podcast. Thank you. Let's go, cool, wow.